welcome back to the KickCast podcast, episode number three, jam-packed for you, coming a bit later in the week, because there's so much to cover. Uh, we'll cover everything from the Socceroos games against China and Vietnam, all the way to the new uh, collective bargaining agreement signed by the APL and Professional Footballers Australia on Thursday. Uh, I am your host for today, Neil Simons. Joining me, uh, two new guests from our Kick360 stable. We have Patrick Brichetto and Tom Williams. Uh, boys, how are you doing? We'll start off with Pat. Oh, not too bad. Just um, locked, getting through lockdown life and trying to keep up with all the football news lately. It's been one big story after the other, so it's been fairly exciting. And you, Tom? I'm very well, loving sunny Melbourne at the moment. It's a beautiful spring day here, so um, loving all the football news that's coming on our doorstep at the moment. Really enjoyed the World Cup qualifiers with the Socceroos, so looking forward to the October games and got some juicy A-League stuff to talk about as well as per usual, so looking forward to speaking on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, Well, first of all, start off... With two World Cup qualifiers that we played over the course of the past week. We played against China on Friday morning. 3-0 victory. Pretty comprehensive. I think we'll delve more into the Vietnam game as it was obviously closer to the time of recording. Uh, But just some brief words on that. Pretty comprehensive. Uh, Martin Boyle, Albert Mobile and Mitch Duke on the score sheet. Uh, And what was a pretty good outing for Graham Arnold's side. Uh, I think we'll start off with Tom here. your takeaways and I guess in terms of how he lined up shape-wise and um, it was a really positive performance against a pretty dangerous side. Yeah, absolutely. I think the China the China game was a very good indication of where the Socceroos sit as a team. I think it was a completely dominant performance against a side with their own attacking weapons, regardless of, of what you think of their, their defence. I think it's it's difficult to argue against the fact that the likes of Elkison, who is the, the top scorer in the Chinese Super League, being paid um, over 10 million euros a season to play for Guangzhou over Grande, um, he's obviously quite the attacking weapon and got, like quite frankly, pocketed by Trent Sainsbury for 90 minutes. Um, and Wu Lei, um, playing for Espanyol, um, I think top scorer in Shanghai SIPG's history, um, a fant- fantastic weapon in his own right as well, um, and didn't really um, get to show his true ta- characteristics in that game. Um, and then in terms of how we played, it was it was quite comprehensive in terms of having a specific plan to to play long balls over their over their last line. So if you look at the goal we scored, obviously coming from Sainsbury playing that that wonderful ball to Mobile. There was one in the second half as well. It was it a was really comprehensive performance and I think we were really unlucky not to score perhaps five or six. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that was a very good indication of where this team sits and um, with the technical quality that was observed during that game from the likes of obviously Martin Boyle, who we'll, who we'll speak about, and and one of my favourites, um, Aidan Hrustich, um, it, was, it was fantastic to see. And Pat, I guess your, your takeaway from that game? Um, yeah, it really was. I think apart from the first 15 minutes where it was a little bit shaky at the back and China had a couple little half chances, it really was a comfortable performance in the end from the Socceroos. I mean, I think probably helped by, I think, the quickness of the first two goals, really, just one after the other. But it was, yeah, it was an, exci- it was an exciting game. The Socceroos, you could really see, the comp- especially in the midfield, the combinations going, I think, Harustic and Rogic, that was very... Exciting to see. They combined really well for the second goal. And, yeah, it was very comfortable. 
I mean, um, you know, players like Ryan Grant, Aziz Bage, everyone was getting involved. So it was very a very positive and pleasing performance in a home game very far away from home. So it was very pleasing and a clean sheet is always good as well. Absolutely. And the form was taken into the game against Vietnam. A lot of uproar about this one. Uh, understandably so. Uh, Twitter's been on fire, for better or for worse, in the past two days or so since the game's conclusion. Uh, listen, it was a very interesting contest. So I think we have to say, taking into account the humidity, 90% humidity in Vietnam, uh, the side obviously coming off a, a, a very uh, easy victory, you'd have to say, by, by all respects, uh, coming into a game with a very rigid, rigid defense, putting all players behind the ball, you know it's going to be very hard to penetrate that defense. And it looked like as if we were possibly going to go down 1-0 when uh, Ryan Grant struck his arm out, which really wasn't a penalty in, in many respects, but some people do consider it a penalty. But uh, they did grind it out, the aforementioned Grant uh, scoring a header late in the first half to secure the 1-0 victory away from home, in which fans and journalists alike have... Hampered a lot of criticism onto the Socceroos for their performance, which is, uh, well, it's good that we expect a lot out of our national team, uh, but I think the criticism lines have to be drawn. Uh, Patrick, a very contentious issue this is, if you discuss it in the realms of where the Socceroos stand at the moment. What are your main takeaways from a very drab and boring game? Yeah, I mean, Channel 10, they put this on their main channel at a time of night where they were hoping a lot of new fans might watch. Probably not the best game to have at that time for new fans to potentially watch because it was a pretty poor game of football. Both both sides really... It was a sloppy, sluggish game. I think the Socceroos in the midfield, they really... Like I said before, they got their combinations right for the China game. This game, they really struggled to get their kind of combinations going against... A different side. I mean, China put pretty much nine men behind the ball at all times. So it was a lot harder for players like Rogic and Hrustic to kind of have that impact with the long searching balls over. But I think the conditions were tough. You're not going to see a free-flowing game in Hanoi in September. It is hot. It is humid. I think you can see that the players were on their feet, especially like Tom Rogic by the end of the game. He could barely run. So it it was always going to be a different game to the China game. And look, obviously, I think I think both sides of the argument are fair enough and valid. I mean, obviously, the conditions were difficult, but it probably it still wasn't a good performance from the Socceroos. We'd like to have a bit more attacking emphasis. We'd like to have a bit more control. We'd probably like to create more than only one shot on target. But I think, given the circumstance, it's, I think regardless of how we played, it is a massive and vital three points that we got in Hanoi, I think. And I guess, Thomas, you've been pretty vocal about the, the Socceroos' I guess, tactical positioning and, and things of that ilk. What was it for this game? Was it did, did we hit the right notes or was it just sort of the, the tempo was just off? I mean, keep in mind, I think Vietnam had 17 games undefeated at home coming into this game, a victory against South Korea and it also won against the UAE. So by no means are they an, an easy opposition to, dis- to, to dismantle. Yep, absolutely. Um, I echo the sentiments raised by, by Pat right there. Um, I think I, I don't wish to surreptitiously demonize anybody who, um, who, who disagrees here, but I think a lot of the people who are, who are really 
vocal about the performance as opposed to the result perhaps haven't experienced what it's like to have an Asian a, a third round qualifying campaign in Asia before if we go back to 2017 a two-all draw away from home against Thailand currently ranked 125th in the world I believe um a a one-all draw I believe away against Iraq um two teams like significantly inferior to the opposition we played the other night in Vietnam um and there'll, there'll always be people who sort of um, disrespect, I would say, perhaps looking for a better word, but disrespect the, the quality that there is in, in Asia, particularly Southeast Asia. When you look at Vietnam, they had some weapons in their team. And if you look at the way that they set up, that they were obviously very disciplined, very pragmatic, um, resolute um, in their defence. And they came with a specific plan to stifle stifle our attacking play, particularly between the lines, which made us push the ball out wide. And we really struggled to create opportunities with our fullbacks, which was which was a problem. But um, obviously, when you, when you come up against a team that really fights for everything like that and, um, and is going to play in that pragmatic and disciplined game style, then it's never easy, particularly on, as you said, um, on a pitch which, which, quite frankly, wasn't fit for professional football, let alone a World Cup qualifier and in 30 degrees and 90% humidity. So I think the important, the important thing to take away from that game isn't that um, it's an indicator of how we'll perform going on because we won't have to play on that pitch again and we won't have to play um, in, in those specific circumstances against that opposition away from home again. So um, I'd say th- it's, there's many positives you can take out of that game in the sense that Arnold set us up to win the game and, and we did exactly that. And I think it's fair to say that um, in 2017, there's there's a real chance that we wouldn't have got three points from that game. Absolutely. And I think I'll just sort of have a closing statement here. We've lived through the worst of the worst as football fans in terms of Socceroos. I think sentiment, sentiments were echoed on Twitter the other day. Um, you know, we were 100th ranked at a time where we lost 6-0 twice to Brazil and Argentina um, successively. And that was a really difficult time. And that's obviously when Holger Osik got sacked and changed the mantle. But in that 2017 campaign uh, for the 2018 World Cup, we did struggle. And we were on the verge of being bowed out by a, <laughs> a shot that hit the crossbar against Syria. Uh, mm. So I, I don't think it can be forget forgotten at all uh, that this is a long and arduous journey. And there's eight games left. Uh, if we pick our cards correctly if graham arnold can steer this team towards victory the manner in which we go about it sometimes doesn't matter i think patrick you mentioned the other day that we might look upon that campaign the previous campaign with rose tinted glasses and that just makes a lot of sense um post asian cup the, the socceroos were relatively poor uh in many stages and i think uh it remains to be seen what happens in the next eight games. It's been two, two, two games which have been positive. A victory against Oman would do wonders, uh, but it's a, a matter of seeing uh, what could occur, and, and I guess uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's always this debate about you know style over substance. Should should we act, should the soccerers focus on playing a nice, attractive style of football, or should they focus on doing what will get results? And I mean, I think Ange Postecoglou he was brought in to bring a nice, attractive style of football. But I think we saw in that campaign, I think it's got its, it's got its limbs. I think with international football, pragmatism and playing kind of to the strengths that you have is much more important than trying to, it's much harder to implement a 
style of football and the way that Ange Postacoglu likes to do. So I think, yeah, I think really substance over style is more important or being pragmatic and just playing what's in front of you is more effective, I think. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah, go on. Adding to that as well, I, I don't think that those two things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Like, I think, for example, if we, if we look at the way that Graham Arnold actually sets up his teams, I, I think, particularly in the China game, it was very clear to see that even when China were pressing us um, with with quite intensity at the start of the game, we were still trying to play out from the back. We were still trying to um, to really get on the front foot and take control over the game. And I think Graham Arnold has really implemented this um, this attacking mindset and this really intense mindset to the team but he also has players in the team who are capable of controlling games and getting a result if need be. Like we saw in the Vietnam game, I think it's fair to say that in, in the last 30 minutes, we, we sort of um, focused on trying to keep the ball and keep Vietnam out rather than adding to our one goal that we had already scored. And we saw Aaron Moy and, and Jimmy Jago really come onto the pitch and um, and control the midfield a, a lot better than I think we did in the first half. Like obviously Troll Stitch played that phenomenal ball to um to Ryan Grant but I thought he was a lot of the time trying to play a lot too direct instead of circulating the ball efficiently um and trying to like be patient and create chances so I think um that mixture there and being able to like change the tempo at certain parts of the game is really important but I think um Graham Arnold has implemented this really um nice game style which does get results as well yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah I mean I think I definitely echo the sentiments, but I guess Patrick, if you've got anything else to say, just say say it away, and we'll uh, conclude this uh, extensive discussion. I'm very, very glad we had this discussion, uh, as opposed to on Twitter. Uh, yeah. But Patrick, I guess uh, leave your sentiments uh, out there on the pod. I was just going to say, I think a lot of, I think potentially in the back of my mind, when people are kind of criticised, we're a bit wary of Graham. I think they probably might have the Oli Ruse campaign still a bit in the back of their minds. Where I think in the Egypt game. He probably set up far too defensive and conservative in a game where they really should have gone for the jugular and it didn't pay off. So I think maybe some people potentially have that still in their minds when they're thinking of Graham Arnold. But I think in these in these first two opening games, I think he's done a, a good job. I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I guess in, in terms of Socceroos, the, the, the international windows are coming thick and fast, uh, taking on Oman next month, which might be... In Sydney, uh, according to the Daily Telegraph this week or News Corp as a whole, uh, lockdown will be lifted for double vaccinated fans next month, which was announced today. Uh, Socceroos hosting a crucial World Cup qualifier at Bankwest Stadium and the Matildas uh, are earmarked to play there against Brazil as well. Uh, very positive news. Obviously, uh, the reported <laughs> very strict measures will be in place for players. Uh, PCR testing... Uh, sal- salivary screening. Uh, they will be wearing tracking devices, contract tracing, and whatnot. I think it's fantastic. The Socceroos could be playing on home soil. A lot of work has to go into it, and I think it's it's good that this could occur. I think more broadly for sport in general in Australia, it's fantastic. It means that we can have an Ashes series um, being played as well. If you are a cricket fan, which is good. No, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be at Boxing Day. At, uh, to watch to watch that one, but uh, yeah, it's it's positive and encouraging signs. Uh, I think I think we could all agree pretty much. And I guess Patrick, as you are based in Sydney, uh, how great would it be to see the Socceroos potentially play at home um, in October, most likely with fans in November? Let's be honest, when we play Saudi Arabia. Yeah, uh, 
in all honesty, I'm not too sure at how likely the October qualifiers will be played. Whether we played here or even with fans, look, I'm not sure. I think November definitely seems very likely and it's very, very exciting. I think it's been, was it late 2019 was our last, the last time the Socceroos have played in Australia. So it's been a very against long Against the Paul in Canberra. Yeah, the Paul in, so, against the Paul in Canberra. Yeah. So it's been a very long time. And like I said, I think in November we're versing Saudi Arabia. So very important for Australia if they were to have a home crowd behind me, what would be one of the bigger games of the group. And I think at Bankwest Stadium, I think it is really the perfect game, the perfect stadium for qualifiers, I should say, because obviously you've had games at Eddie Haddon at Ains in the past where they've not been full and not having the full stadium for an international game. It is disappointing, just kind of ruins the feel a bit, but at 30,000 at Bankwest for a soccer game, they'd be absolutely perfect. You know, the atmosphere would be great. The fans are right on top of the action. So here's hoping, obviously it'd be great if we go ahead in October, but definitely for November, we should all be very, very excited for it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Moving on into some A-League news this morning. Uh, the groundbreaking commercial bargaining agreement to drive professional leagues was announced. Uh, Kick360 did put this out this morning as well, followed by the official announcement from Professional Footballers Australia. Uh, and we'll just underline the key points in this in, in this CBA. Um, obviously, it's a five-year length Uh in accordance with the Viacom, CBS, and Network 10 agreement, which is fantastic, obviously. Uh, and we will introduce unprecedented high performance and medical standards across the league, as well as a swath of contract reforms to allow increased investments in playing squad. That is from James Reese's article this morning. Now, what are the changes? Uh, he questions in the article, and we'll provide you the answers right here. Uh, significantly enhanced high performance standards, including training venues, travel and accommodation, high-performance staffing and player workloads with gender and quality embedded, a 32% increase in the W League salary cap floor over the course of the agreement, an increase in the, w, in the A League salary cap floor while ensuring incremental increases in the actual salary cap over the first three years uh, to $2.6 million ahead of a midterm review. And this was the key point, and I think everybody's been talking about this morning, the introduction of up to two designated players allowing clubs to invest between $300,000 and $600,000 in players whose salaries will be exempt from the A-League salary cap while maintaining the other two marquee players outside of the cap, uh, incremental increases to minimum wages across both leagues, and uh, greater capacity to contract and invest in youth uh, with more scholarship players and guaranteed funding for past players and developmental programs for the PFA's uh, respected programs, very positive. Uh, and also there's also a very nice uh, little paragraphing at the end of what it does mean. Check that out on kick360.com.au for the full breakdown. But as for now, uh, we will discuss this in a podcast environment. Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. Uh, after last year in a COVID environment, where the league was in danger of not going ahead. I remember looking, uh, scouring the internet for any information based on this CBA, uh, which was going to be reached due to the, obviously the Fox Sports. It was it was another shambles with the, with the installment payments and things like that. To have concrete certainty and planning is fantastic, uh, but the actual details of this deal, a lot to discuss. Uh, what is your take? 
I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think there are multiple facets of the of the collective bargaining agreement which um which are exciting, particularly um the flexibility in the cap to um to involve the inclusion of more scholarship players for A League clubs. I think that really demonstrates the the APL's focus on on youth development and trying to um and trying to really progress the careers of these young talents that we've seen emerge from the league in recent years, including um debutant soccerers Riley McGree, uh, Connor Metcalf and Dennis Genro, um, who recently obviously played in, in the qualifiers in Q8 and Riley McGree, all, all three featuring at the, at the Olympics and Riley McGree obviously starting against Vietnam the other night. Um, and then Daniel Arzani, another product from the, from the A-League coming through. So that's, that's a phenomenal facet of this deal, trying to promote more young talent like that. Um, another thing is obviously the one that we'll get everyone talking is the designated player rule. And um, I'd hate to cast aspersions on A-League clubs here, but I think um, it's fair to say that A-League clubs would have had this in the back of their mind last season. If we look at um, Sydney signing Bobo and Adam LaFondra halfway through the season, I'd find it um, difficult to imagine a world where Sydney could fit Bobo, LaFondra, Luke Braddon, Milos Ninkovic um, even Ryan Grant and um, and Anthony Caceres all in all in the cap and Barbarossa's even um, all in the cap without the inclusion of these designated players. So I think, particularly in a world where COVID has really created this uncertainty in the A League transfer mill, I think the designated player rule really adds to the ability for clubs to sign quality, decent level foreigners to add to the two marquees um, already available to the clubs. Patrick, I guess, what is your take? I guess as a Wanderers fan, more broadly, uh, the, the amount of players and the quality of the players it has been sublime. And I, I think a lot of that might might be attributed to that designated player rule too. Um, yeah, for sure. I think the Wanderers, their recruitment's made a lot of headlines, got a lot of people excited. I think Tom touched on the point before. I think obviously clubs have known this has been the pipeline, so they have been preparing with this in mind, I think also for the Wanderers, I think that if you look, they've they've got three foreign spots still open, so they might even be might have left them those spots open until this was all announced to try and sign maybe a few foreign players. I know that lockdown probably doesn't help the sign of foreign players. That potentially could be playing in the back of the minds, but yeah, it's exciting. I mean, obviously, marquees and international players are. They're hit and miss. You can either get a Federico Pivacari or you get a LaFondra or a Bebeau. But it's certainly, hopefully clubs can really exploit this and bring some exciting players into the league. Just um, one thing I want to point out before we forget, I think something really important is in terms of the high performance aspect of that first thing, I think it's really important to note that they're actually the gender equality that is being embedded in that. Like, I think they're trying to get the A-League and the W-League, they're trying to get that to the same stand. I think, I'm not sure that other leagues and comps in Australia might be doing that, but it could be in Australia first. And even if it's not, I think it's a really good thing that they're doing. It's really putting that faith in the W-League and it's really strengthening it. I think it's great to see. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think with W-League as well, it's a resounding 32% increase in the W-League salary floor, which is huge. Um... You know, a couple of years ago, Sam Kerr was on $400,000 for the season, which is a very short season. And it shows the value that women's footballers have within Australia and how they should be compensated for that. The Matildas are the hottest thing 
uh, in Australian football at the moment. And they'll be even hotter in two years with the Women's World Cup. And I think it's building to that level and ensuring that we can create a professional environment for these young footballers as well in the W League. If you look at the amount of players that were announced in Tony Gustafsson's squad, which we'll also talk about later, um, I, I think it, I think it's tremendous. Definitely. Um, and I also think just, just going back to the um, to the designated player thing, I think if you look from a victory perspective, obviously me being a, a Melbourne victory fan, um, I think it leaves it leaves us with a lot of options going forward into this season. I know I think we'll touch on it later in this podcast, but we've obviously got some some interesting transfer rumors coming through. Um, and if you look at if you look at victory, for example, the the club announced that Marco Rojas and Chris Economides um, were the two salary cap exempt players um, as full marquees, presumably. So that either leaves potentially one, two or, or zero designated player spots available. And I think it's fair to say that that one of Josh Berlante, Jason Davidson or Robbie Cruz potentially would be, um, would be, would fulfill one of those two 300 to 600,000 designated player spots. So to have, two foreign spots available, um, including one designated player, really gives Victory a lot of flexibility with them, with who they want to sign, obviously knowing that Victory have been in the market for a centre forward and, um, and a defender. It, it really gives us that flexibility. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, we'll, we'll do a quick segue into the Matilda squad, which was announced yesterday for the friendly against Ireland, uh, Republic of Ireland, later this month against, uh, sorry, in Dublin. Uh, being held on the 22nd of September. Uh, we'll just go through the squad really quickly and I'll provide my thoughts on it. Mackenzie Arnold, Angela Beard, who is making her first appearance in the squad uh, since 2016. Ellie Carpenter, Seth Catley, Emma Checker, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Mary Fowler, Emily Gilnick, Charlotte Grant, Amy Harrison, Winoa Heatley, who makes her first appearance in the training camp, I believe. Alana Kennedy, Sam Kerr, Chloe Legazzo, Jenna McCormick, uh, Tegan Micah, Courtney Nevin, Claire Polkinghorn, Jamila Rankin, who's an 18-year-old youngster. It's going to be great to see her. Haley Razzo, uh, Kaya Simon, Remy Siebson, who also makes the training camp squad, which is fantastic to hear from Sydney FC. Emily Van Egmond, Lydia Williams, and Tamika Yallop. Some good stuff. Uh, very encouraging signs, I believe. Uh, a lot of youngsters here. It seems that Tony Gustafsson's really you know, mixing, and, mixing and matching a little bit, uh, heading into the Women's Asian Cup uh, and Women's World Cup. Uh, in the next uh, couple of years, uh, you know, it's a big friendly. Uh, there won't be a lot of spotlight on it, to be honest. If you just look at the friendly in isolation, um, it's a one-off. Uh, it's good to see the Matildas back in action. And I think it will be a very encouraging squad. Full breakdown coming uh, today as well on the Key360 website, uh, courtesy of Kieran Yap. Moving on to the next topic, we'll discuss the A-League transfers that have occurred in the past week or so. Uh, I will kick this off with the two signings of Perth Glory, uh, in which I've picked up Pacific Neon Gabiri, Anthony Burke Anthony Burke Gilroy. Uh, Anthony Burke Gilroy, if you aren't familiar with him, he played MPL football with the Altona Magic, then moved to the Brisbane Roar as an injury replacement, I believe, for Jack Hingett. Uh, but Tom, obviously, it's not going to receive a lot of spotlight. It's two players that are on the verge of, I, I, you'd say, MPL maybe, but uh, I guess your, your your take. Yeah, I think um, in in terms of Perth Glory specifically, those those two players will, will likely be sort of sporadic players. I, I guess squad rotation, um, perhaps. 
but um, Nyongabiri could add some good pace to their attack, particularly with losing Chris Economides to Melbourne Victory. I think Perth, this will be a transition season for them. Um, I know they signed Jack Clisby and they signed Brad Jones, but I think losing the firepower with um, Economides will really um, will really sort of hurt them. Um, I think that Adrian Sardinero, I think I think they signed from from Greece. Yes, yes, yes. He, he looks like he could be a decent number nine, but again, we'll have to see. It's a bit of a flip of a coin with foreigners like him, I guess. And then I guess another question comes in the form of 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 um of Diego Castro, whether he can maintain obviously the the fantastic form that we've seen from him, or maintain a contract with a club. That that's that's the main question. He hasn't he hasn't resigned yet. Yeah. <laughs> over six years. So if, if he re-signs, then um, that will be interesting to see. Um, so Diego Castro, that would be a big loss for them, obviously having lost economy. Is I believe Jason Garrier as well and Neil Kilkenny, who didn't see much um, time on the field in the second half of the season. But um, I think, yeah, overall it will be a transition season for the glory um, unless they can really pull something out of the bag with foreign signings before the season starts. Absolutely. I think another signing that's been very heavily underrated has been Leo Lacroix from Swiss top tier side FC Sion. Uh, Patrick, what what is your take here? He he's a very intriguing centre half. Uh, has quite a good resume. Um, will he be that player that that West United do need in the absence of Brandon Hamill? Um, yeah, no, for sure. I think Western United, especially at the back end of the season, they struggle in all areas. But I think defensively is something they really need to strengthen. They, as you said, they lost Hamill. They have signed Nikolai Topper-Stanley, so you'd, you'd think that um, this new signing would partner him in defence. But, um, yeah, good CV. He's, he's fairly... He's still 29, so he's kind of hitting the peak for being a centre-back. And um, Western United, yeah, will be hoping that he can be really solid and kind of help them get back up the table. Absolutely. Uh I, I think we'll just talk about uh, Aussie Zebra just a little bit. Zabrukovitia has been linked to every club in the world. Um, he's signed with Hapoel Beersheva um, in the Israeli Premier League. Uh, Dylan Ryan, who was formerly of Melbourne Victory and Willem Tve, has signed for FC Den Bosch. Uh, moving forward, we've obviously got the, the curious case of Savast Sietravinas. I think I've done that decently. I may have mis- messed up his last name, but... Uh, the curious case, he was linked to victory and then he was linked to, to Newcastle and signed for Newcastle. Uh, Thomas, I, I know you've probably done a bit of research on him. Uh, what will he provide for the Newcastle Jets? Yeah, he seems like a, a quality attacking player, to be honest. Um, I know when I first saw that victory were being linked with him, I was quite sceptical, but I've been won over by a few members of Twitter um, who have really... Um, who have really been quite vocal about um, about his potential prospects, having played in the in the Greek second division for Xanthi and um, various other teams. Um, Xanthi, obviously, being the team previously managed by current victory boss Tony Popovich. Um, but I think what he'll add is this real dynamism to to Newcastle's attack that I never thought they really retained after losing Dimitri Petrados. Um, so I think he'll provide a similar level of creativity, probably playing off the left and and trying to play inverted and. Um, score goals from outside the box and provide um, through balls in the attacking third, which um, which has really been missing, as I said, since they lost um, since they lost Dimitri Petrados and also Ronald Vargas back in the day. To go back um, a bit further, 
Absolutely. Some more Aussies abroad action. Jordan Murray has joined uh, Yamshedpur FC in India, which is good to hear. Um, a very underrated transfer. Matt Miller has joined St. Mirren, which is a very good move for him. Aussies uh, in Scotland, love to see it. <laughs> yeah, nice. No, more Aussies in Scotland, the better. Uh, Tom Rogic, uh, Cammy Devlin, and uh, Matt Miller, which is good to hear. Uh, as well. Sorry? Martin Boyle as well. Martin Boyle as well. Yeah, that's all my Aussies, mate. Aussies, Aussies. <laughs> Born here. Um, but no, I, I think it's, it's obviously very encouraging to see. Soon we'll have an Aussie at every SPL club, which would be nice. Um, and I guess... We have to talk about Victor Sanchez, who has left West United. Patrick, your take on this one? He's left due to the uncertainty, due to the COVID lockdowns. The first mutual mutual termination that has occurred due to someone being a bit pissed off about the lockdowns, and that's fair enough. Uh, what do yeah. you think about that one? Oh, it's a huge shame for West United. I remember he was one of the, I think, was there two or three La Liga players came over last season, and. Specifically from Espanol, yes, yes. Yeah, I think there was some. Someone went to Adelaide as well, but um. Uh, yeah, uh, Javi Lopez. He was at yeah. Adelaide, yeah. And just looking at his stats, he played eighteen games and scored three goals for Western United, and he was quite, he was quite a good player for them. And it is, and yeah, like I said, it is a huge shame to lose him after one season. I think it does reflect the issues that the A League might have, whilst lockdown and kind of uncertain border conditions still reign. Supreme, and obviously, yeah, it's very difficult coming to a new country, being away from your family. So I think no one's going to begrudge him for wanting to leave and be close to his family. But yeah, it's a huge shame for Western United and a huge shame for the league as a whole. And hopefully it's something that can be sorted soon. Hopefully, you know, we can be back to being open up soon. But I think, yeah, for sure. Shame. Just to add to that as well, I, th- I think Sanchez was quite an underrated player for Western United last season. Before he got injured, I thought he was really effective in their team. And having having him and Alessandro Diamanti in the same team was 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 quite effective for um for Western United going um both trying to attack. And then if you look at Sanchez defensively, he, he could really get stuck in as well. So playing in that two in midfield um a lot of the time with the likes of Steven Lustica as well, um it worked really well. So losing him. And replacing him with Neil Kilkenny, who's who's quite literally on his last legs, I think. Um, will be um <laughs> seven assists last season. I don't think he's in the, on his last legs, mate. <laughs> will, be, um, will be will be will be interesting. Um, so yeah, that that I, I think in other areas of their team, it's it, Western United's a curious case under under John Aloisi because in other areas of their team, they've really prioritised um getting out a lot of the dead wood and bringing in some quality youth I, I believe getting in like Noah Bottich and Dylan Wenzel Halls gives a bit of exuberance to that attacking third but then you look at signings like Nikolai Topol Stanley and Neil Kilkenny and it just screams sort of um the recycling dad's army dad's army it, it screams dad's ja- army Jamie, Jamie Young as well I believe the yeah correct yeah yep. so um <laughs> that'll be interesting um but yeah Victor Sanchez obviously knew him from way back he he um was playing for Espanyol when I watched Barcelona play against Espanyol at the Now Camp. He was actually playing right back that day, marking Gerard de la Feu. So um, a quality A-League player that will be sorely missed, I'm sure, for Western United. I think I agree with you there. But I think more pertinently, Jamie Young's replacement at Brisbane Raw might take, the, might take shape in the form of uh, Jordan Holmes who's uh, apparently in his last day of quarantine, according to Cameron Wiper, um, which is an interesting, interesting 
development there because I think he's a, a fantastic player. Um, I, I haven't watched too much of him, to be honest. It's very, very hard to access the, uh, I said, sixth tier of, of English football streams. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I did watch some of the Oli Ruse games when they did play those warm-ups against, I think, Mexico prior to the actual Olympics. Uh when they had that European ba- when they had that European based squad, uh, I think I think it was maybe Tony Vidmar who was coaching. Uh, but yeah, he he looked good, and I think he'll be a good number one. And hopefully, he put himself in frame for soccer selection. I think it's not out of the blue for him. If you look at the the the, the best young keepers in in the A League at the moment, um, you got Daniel Margush, who watches well read his feature on Kick Three Sixty done by Patrick. It's quite good. Uh, uh, you also got. Tom Glover, Jordan Holmes, and actually Maynard Brewer as well, who will hopefully break into the Charlton Athletic first team this year. So we'll see what can happen there. But I think uh, we'll talk about the A-League postponement, finally. Uh, it hasn't been postponed yet. Uh, but Danny Townsend has floated the possibility of that occurring. Uh, with a desire to play in front of crowds, uh, Danny Townsend stated, stated the following to AAP at the end of the month, the end of September, we're going to need to make a call on whether to push it back. Now there's a natural window to look at pushing it back to potentially after the first international window, which is the uh, November 8th to 16th. Uh, and it's also very encouraging to hear that Network 10 and Paramount Plus were flexible and pragmatic with competition start date. They haven't set a hard deadline on when games should be getting underway, which is really nice to hear because I thought that would be a major impediment um, to the season commencing uh, in any shape or form. So I think we'll start off with we'll start off with, with Tom. What, what is your perspective? Yeah, I guess I, I sort of maintain hope either through blind optimism or deep ignorance that the A-League season will be able to commence with full capacity crowds, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So um, I think the, the A-League should be postponed to the to the point where sufficient crowds can be allowed in stadiums. I think particularly with the new the new deal with Channel Ten and um, and Paramount, it's 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 dare I say Paramount that um that we um, get fans. I, I tried those puns at the time. I think I did a I, I, sorry to interject, but I did a pun on Twitter when like Stan when it was Stan when it were in the field of negotiations. I was like, I understand. That it is paramount that this deal gets racked up soon, Alex. Absolutely, and yeah, I, I I think it's it's of the utmost importance that um that with that deal um they get fans in the stadiums at the start of the season because fans are really what makes our game and our league unique. If we look at um the atmosphere provided in the stadiums of the A League, particularly Amy Park and and Bankwest Stadium, just to name a couple. Um, it's it's really something that sets our game apart. So I think if the wider community can gain access to that via free to air TV, it could be a really enticing proposition to um to sort of sell the A League to um to the average punter who might not be so much aware of it. Uh, and Patrick, I guess uh, your take on this very contentious issue: do we postpone it? Do we not? I think the uh, what's been postponed already. I think the Big Bash maybe. Big Bash, no, no, W Big Bash, Women's Big Bash, yeah, that, that, that's been best been postponed, um, which is encouraging. And I think NRLW as well, apparently, very controversially, has been postponed too. So your take on this one, it's a, it's a very difficult issue. Um, but uh, what, propos- what proposition do you have? Oh, look, in all honesty, I think postponement is a sensible option, even if it's just, I think, 
in what Townsend said. I think he was saying that maybe using the November international break kind of setting mm. off after that point. I think it's the most sensible thing going forward because I think Thomas touched on it perfectly. Fans, fans make football, you know, and I think especially for the A-League, the atmosphere is such a big selling point. I think we've kind of realised that in the past few seasons where active support has unfortunately really waned and kind of died away. I think we've realised that the product, the A-League, the A-League's product has gone down in value and in just interest. So I think, and especially with this free-to-air deal, it is so, so important that we get fans in the stadiums. And I'm not sure, obviously, look, they've been smart not releasing a draw yet and committing themselves to anything, but you'd really, really hope that they kind of push back those big derby games to a bit later in the season where you can get a full Amy Park, a full Bank West, a full Cogra for a Sydney derby. I mean, obviously, look, their hands might get forced by board restrictions. I know we could see problems for the likes of maybe your Brisbane Roars and your Perth Glory. They might, obviously, their states have a bit stricter and different board restrictions. So that might force their hands a bit where they have to kind of front load all of the the close games where the New South Wales sides have to play each other, Victoria sides have to play each other. But I think, and I think the APL know this, they're smart. I think they will do their best, not only to get fans in the stadiums, but to try to get those bigger blockbuster games a bit later in the season where you can get a full house because that's what we all want to see. Yeah, for sure. I think um, you also raised a really good point there in terms of um, in terms of using the November qualifiers as a platform to sort of um, lead in or segue into the A-League season. And I think that's a really pertinent point because if we look at what Channel 10 have been doing with their broadcasting, I think they've been really like surreptitiously including um, examples of the A-League intended to sort of market the A-League to the broader audience while they're playing the Socceroos on Channel 10. Like there was... There was frequent mentions of Ryan Grant being the only um, the only A-League player in the team and then explaining why there are no other A-League players in the Socceroos, stuff like that. So I think, I believe the November qualifiers are against Saudi Arabia at home and China away. So two really, really important games. And if we get results in those games, um, particularly with the Saudi game, which could potentially be in front of a packed Bankwest stadium, then having that on a prime time, on free-to-air will be a brilliant way to lead into the A-League season and drive interest. But I guess mm. uh, I'd really love to go to Bankwest for that game. I haven't been there yet. You two have. but um... <laughs> I, I've been there a few times as a Wanderers fan. I have been there a few times. Unfortunately, I've only been... There's been about, I think, two games where it's been over 20,000. Those were both the derbies that the Wanderers won. So, I mean, Bankwest, when it's full and got an atmosphere, it is absolutely brilliant. And I'm hoping from a very biased point of view, that it's the same this season. I just can't wait to experience it. Obviously, having been at Amy Park for a few um, a few really big occasions, most people um, have said that Bankwest provides a better atmosphere and it's difficult to disagree when you look at how the stadium is built and how... Um, how it's much- actually really weird. Like, from coming from, like, a Melbourneian's perspective, like, you just go into that stadium. There's, like, there's, not, there's not really um, a sense of that traditional MCG Marvel stadium, Amy parks type, like type of environment. It's very sort of, I'd say it's very similar to England in, in a way in which you walk up into the stadium. It's not really like the, the, the turnstiles or anything like that at Bankwest. At least that's, that's the game that I entered. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. The, the experience that I had there. And, and I think the soccer is to play a game uh, at, 
Bankwest in November and October would be sublime. And what a way to lead into the A-League season. I think they did a whole feature in Melbourne City and how Leckie and, and McLaren weren't playing, which is um really cool, if I might say so myself. It was very well, very well done. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I just want to say, I think before we kind of forget, I think we should give a huge shout out to Channel 10's coverage of the Socceroos camp um, qualifying so far. It's been, I mean, obviously it's not hard to beat Fox's coverage towards then. I think I could have done that on my own, to be honest. But in all seriousness, it's been absolutely night and day. I mean, from the start, from I think just the week before, I think the 20-minute preview show, even though it wasn't a big show, it just shows they've got that, they really care about it. The promos with using Lepa, uh, Jonathan Lapali, I believe he's host survivor using him the studio format I think it's all been absolutely brilliant and also a shout out to I think is it Scott McKinnon is he the new yeah host? yeah I think I think he's done quite a good job in that kind of that Adam Peacock role I mean obviously it's, it's sadly by the looks we all love Adam Peacock but it seems that he's staying with Fox for the time being but I think Scott McKinnon's stepped in really well in South I think it did a really good job. I think it was fairly seamless. So I think, yeah, shout out all around to Channel 10 and long may it continue. Absolutely. I think um, McKinnon, he, he's obviously not a football person, but he seemed very well researched on everything, which was which was really refreshing to see from somebody that perhaps doesn't have that, um, that extensive knowledge of the A-League as someone like Adam Peacock or, or Tara Russian might. And I also really enjoyed sort of the... Um, the analysis that was um, being given from Mark Milligan and Georgia Yeomandale and um, and even um, even Luke Wilkshire as well, I thought um, did brilliantly. I believe in his first appearance for for Channel Ten. So really looking forward to seeing what they can do for the future World Cup qualifiers and and obviously what they'll do for that um those prime time A League games that will be shown on free to air. And Simon Hill, how good is it to have mm-hmm. him back? Yeah. Blessing our TV screens. I think. Yeah, obviously, some literally at one point, literally at one point in the pregame, <laughs> they put the camera on him and, and, and Harps, and the way that the way that Simon was looking at Harps, oh, just just uh, yeah. a, a bromance to, to yeah. behold. <laughs> and look, I, I know some people aren't the biggest fans of Andy Harper, but I think Simon Hill and Andy Harper they work really well as a combination. Yeah. It's just fantastic to see him. I can't wait to hear Simon Hill commentate on the big derby games. It's going to be great. And he actually will be commentating next week for the uh, first FFA Cup clash. Uh, between Edge Hill United uh, and the other team, I think it's Hawks Bay, maybe? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, that's also a big game as well. We, we will talk about the FFA Cup next week. When are Channel 10 going to hire Neil Simons? No, never. <laughs> I just, just, you know what? The, the discussion for NPL Victoria uh, commentators entering the A-League should only be for Pe- Teo Pelizzari and only and that, that only Teo, Teo Pelizzari. He's the only guy that is worthy of anything in terms of Channel 10. Maybe Joey Lynch and Josh Parrish and um, Chris Gleason as well, Damiro Quillash and Lucky Flanagan, but um, a long way away. My clarify, it's Edge Hill United versus Gold Coast Knights. So it's a big, big game next week. Magic of the Cup, 7.30 kickoff next week on 10 play. Uh, so... You also said hello to Neil at a game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, th- Shout-outs to Teo. Ter- he's, he's a lovely guy. And uh, you know, I wish him all the best. Hopefully he gets that Victorian MPO slash... FFA Cup gig. I'd like to see him do more W League, to be honest, for for the, the the Paramount coverage when that does go ahead. But it'd be interesting to see, I think, more broadly going into next week's game uh, for the FFA Cup, how 10 actually broadcasts. Because this, this will actually be their first ever broadcast of a football match. Um, they obviously take the AFC feeds. 
but I, I just that's just maybe just maybe just being a nerd or something like that. But I, I think it would just be quite an, an interesting proposition to see how they do manage that. Simon will Hill on comms. I think Daniel, Daniel, yeah, sorry. Will you be counting how many cameras I have there? I think they'll have two or maybe one or two. I, I, you look at those games in isolation and you think like, what's the point of having like three or four or five cameras? Like, I mean, 10 have gone quite overboard so far, which is really good. I think the, the panel presentation on, on uh, Tuesday, they had like Luke Wilkshire, Georgia Yomadale, who I might say is a superb analyst. She's superb, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah really- she, she really added so much to that yeah. panel. Um, and yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, Luke Wilkshire, obviously Broski would have been nice to see him there. But yeah, Milligan also very calm and composed and it's good to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think also it'll um, it'll be interesting with that FFA Cup broadcast just to see whether they put as much or as many resources into it as they have for the Socceroos. Like obviously I don't expect them to, but um, but I, I think particularly with it being, as you said, 10's first actual broadcast, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they... um. How they how they show that and how they try and convey, as they say, the magic of the cup um, on TV. So that will be um, that will be really interesting to see, and I'll be I'll definitely be tuning into that one. Am I the only one that wants to see T- Tuberman come back, <laughs> make an appearance? Uh, no, <laughs> you're not the only person. I think Evan, Evan Morgan Graham would love that just for the mean content. Uh, but that will just about conclude uh, this week's episode of uh, Kick Three Sixty podcast to kick cast uh thank you boys for joining we'll bring you some more con- podcast content next week but just to take you through uh the recent reads that we have uh a lot of them are outdated due to the fact that uh the soccer is have already played their two games but a lot of uh timeless content uh with johnny contrombus uh enjoying his first start at the wanderers he's uh obviously been through a lot in his career uh also under undertaking uh, treatment for his stage one thyroid cancer. Uh, Kieran Yap with uh, what Matilda's signings in Europe, such as Alana Kennedy, Hayley Rasso, etc., will, will provide for uh, their respective sides in, in Europe and in, in, the WSL. Uh, the Futsal Championships, however, returning. Uh, the National Championships uh, next year in Queensland. Uh, and also, also a very nice piece there from uh, Zach Collarbrook on the breakthrough star for the Central Coast Mariners, Max Ballard. Some comments there from the Central Coast Mariners assistant. Boys, we'll leave that for today. Uh, make sure you listen to our other podcasts and read everything on Kick360. Sign up to the newsletter. Do whatever you guys want to. It's uh, a lot of content coming out in the offseason, and it's going to be great when the season does recommence very soon. I've been Neil Simons. They've been Patrick Bruschetto. So yeah, thank you. And Tom. Williams. Cheers. Tom Williams. That's Cheers. that's your name. Yep. <laughs> no worries guys. Thank you very much and uh see you guys next time.